0: Hi, I'm Elise.
1: I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
0: This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 15, Destiny, teleplay by David S. Cohen and Martin A. Weiner, and directed by Les Landau. This episode aired on February 13th, 1995.
1: This week on Deep Space Nine, an ancient Bajoran prophecy of doom complicates the first joint Bajoran-Cardassian and Federation science mission, an attempt to establish a permanent communications link through the wormhole. Elise, we'll start this episode as we start most, if not all, our episodes. Did you or did you not remember this from the first time you watched Deep Space Nine?
0: I did not remember the mission that they're going on or the prophecy but I vaguely remembered some of the scenes that I will talk about in my thirst quencher um pick for the week and a little bit later but yeah like I remembered bits and pieces of it but not as a whole if that makes sense
1: right right no and that well I'm sure we'll get into it but the part I re- you're alluding to that you remember makes sense that you would remember it (laughs) yeah Um, I mean
0: I'll just get into it slightly now like I would just really love to read a Cardassian romance novel given their mating rituals (laughs) I'll just leave it at that for now (laughs) Uh,
1: there you go there's there's definitely a certain type of flirting that you are drawn to (laughs) um yeah, I think I kind of like this episode more than you, kind of just not to, to jump too far ahead and, like, looking in in the notes there. Um, as long-time listeners of the podcast will know, the explorations of Bajor and Bajoran religiosity, um, Cisco's status as emissary and a figure within Bajoran religiosity, and, like the tensions that are ripe there are like some of my favorite things about Deep Space Nine. And here we are, 15 episodes rounding the corner to completing season three. And this is, I think, one of the first episodes since the pilot, I really remember Cisco's role within Bajoran religiosity being kind of explored. And it's, it definitely is something... That we will return to over the remaining, you know, season four, five, six, and then finally, like, ending in season seven. Um, Yeah, and especially like what that means for Kira specifically. Again, longtime listeners will know that I love Kira. She's my favorite, one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. (laughs) Dumb. So, I, I this this episode had a lot for me,
0: for sure. I did enjoy this episode because I watched it a few weeks ago, and then we had um I had forgotten we weren't recording that weekend, so I was like I'd forgotten about it, and then um you know I I rewatched it again this morning. I did like it better the second time to like when I watched it this morning than I did the other day, Um and I think that. I was maybe (laughs) inebriated (laughs) a few weeks ago and didn't – and missed some of it that was interesting, like, the dynamics between the Cardassian scientists and such. Like, that part was very interesting to me. Um, One issue – and this happens, like – this is, like, discussed right at the beginning of the episode in the cold open. One thing I really have a hard time with with regard to this episode is – Just Sisko wanting the Bajorans to welcome the Cardassians to the promenade. I get this is a TV show, but this is a bananas concept to me. Made worse when he uses the word overseer, first of all. And second, because he's supposed to be a religious icon to them. Not that that is his choice, and obviously we deal with that in this episode a little bit. But yeah, using that word overseer really made it worse for me. And... I just felt like the gap between they're maybe not killing us anymore to welcome to my restaurant is just really a large gap. And he's just so casual about it. And just every time Kira is next to him, I just want to be like, she's understandably upset. And it's just, she's in such a tough position in this episode because he's her supervisor and she believes he's the emissary and the Cardassians, we're so horrible to the Bajorans. Like it just, there's a lot going on here.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, you've really like tapped the vein of one of the problems or challenges or not great things that like exists within kind of this episode. And I think a vein we've been tapping over the course of this podcast is the way in which deep space nine portrays like, geopolitics and like the limits of its allegory like definitely this episode wants us to think of like cold war parallels right and like joint scientific ventures right. between you know the west and the soviet union and you know the the ability for collaboration beyond the like you know hawkish political machinations right and I get that, and again, that can be, like, right for a certain kind of drama, but, like, it also, I think, the ignorance that, in some ways, the Federation, like, Cisco, is displaying there about, like, you know, oh, we can do this now, and it's important because of the new treaty. It's, like, yes, but also it's, like, this lack, seemingly lack of, like, consideration for some of the complexities that, like, Bejar was occupied for, like, several generations, you know? Right,
0: and I know, yeah, and and then Cisco using the word overseer just immediately brings my mind to slavery, which is like, I don't, it's not a direct comparison, obviously, um, but it makes me feel like, imag- like, I can't imagine slaves, like, entertaining their slave owners. Like, that's insane to me. So I, I know it's not an exact of what happened with Bajor and Cardassia, but just using that word triggers that thought into my mind.
1: Yeah, and like I think too what something that the episode related to this isn't interested in exploring, where it's it like, yes, the show's doing some work over the last season, I think, specifically, like even going back to some of the stuff with um Gamore Gamor and the second skin and with Kira and stuff earlier right. this season. Um and even I think it was last season where Quark's uh X flame the Casablanca episode. I think that yeah. was season two. Might have been earlier season three. Um I think it was it's very three. much focused No I, It's I very know. much focused on a doesn't matter. <laughs> it's very much focused on like this like hashtag not all Cardassians thing. Which okay I get I appreciate you know what they're they're trying to do that like not all cardassians are blatant and overt fascists like <laughs> you know like our galda right. you know our are, are members of the acidian order that we've you know encountered and stuff like that but also a cardassian scientist is going to be a direct benefit of the ways in which a fascistic cardassian government operates and so like i get that there's a complexity a bit there where like yes you can have be like a good and moral individual and yeah you're not like you know actively perpetuating fascism but you're also like tangentially doing it too like, and like you're complicit in it too because that's like yeah you don't didn't choose that government but you're still like benefiting from it in a way so it's like what there's the episode. There, The episode isn't interested in exploring that, but I think because it's not interested in exploring it, that's where we get this kind of flattening that leads to kind of these these awkward feelings that we had in the prologue.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I will say that, like, I'm able to separate out the plot of what happens. Like, I don't think these thoughts took away from my ability to, like, analyze the episode on its other on the rest of the plot like I kind of was able to separate that out so I probably I'm glad that we talked about the issues there but I don't think that they colored like the rest of my thoughts on the episode which I think is interesting and something I'm not always able to separate out but that just might be like a me thing but I just found that kind of interesting (laughs) I'm able to be a little more objective maybe Anyway,
1: well, and I think too, in in going through it, it's like you kind of place it in its its context of the time of which it was produced, and also through the like lowercase l like liberal lens of of Star Trek that kind of flattens some of these and isn't necessarily as interested in exploring anti-colonial or like anti-imperialist perspectives because it's also like perpetuating a lot of those attitudes albeit like not overtly but subvertly or like complacently like you know what i mean where it's like (laughs) neoliberalism is like the active like expansion of empire based on like specific policy planks whereas like the like small l like liberal perpetuation of the status quo of imperialism is as a result of not doing something and like a complacency and like not governing, right? Or not introducing, you know, policies to make it better. Like, they're, yeah, they're not actively introducing things to necessarily make it worse, like, you know, <laughs> the GOP would or something like that. Yeah, I got but you. Like,
0: no, I, I understand yeah. what you're saying um, completely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, student loan debt right now. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I and then before we kind of move into, you know, unpacking the prophecy, the the titular prophecy (laughs) and start dealing with our destinies, I do want to call out that um, Eric Avari is in this episode and is another one of those. Oh, it's that guy, the guy from Blank Actors, Um, you know, among Stargate, the mummy has been in Next Generation. bunch of other things it's he he, sees eric avari is just one of those guys that hollywood's like hey you're ethnically ambiguous enough to you know
0: play play anyone do
1: we need an egyptologist in the mummy 1999 (laughs) sure you're egyptian now like you know he actually was born in india but you know whatever
0: yes um i agree i definitely actually (laughs) said to myself oh that's it's that guy like when i watched the episode. Yeah, sorry, but, what were you saying?
1: No, it's just like it's somewhat tangential, but it's like how Hollywood decided that Jew Jewish folks are ethnically ambiguous enough to play any race but Jews, yeah. and they cast Gentiles in like Jewish roles. Yes. um unless they, I mean, there's the Italian Jewish. Yes, Italians thing. and Jews lot, are but, allowed
0: to play each other. We have a an unsaid agreement. I guess I just Thank said you, it, Estelle but Getty. <laughs> yeah, brought to us by Estelle Getty. Um, yeah. Oh, that performance is genius. I just think also Italians and Jews are just so similar in so many ways, but
1: yeah, at, at le- least I the should, context of, I was going to say, York yeah,
0: I should. Yes, I was a hundred percent about to, about to, um, <laughs> let me say narrow that down to my lived experience in um, the New York City area (laughs) not like saying concrete
1: jungle where dreams are made of
0: yes that's true (laughs) Um, I was gonna say MDMA got you feeling like a champion (laughs) um anyway yes there's a prophecy did you know that
1: hmm they could, they could have called this episode Prophecy as much as Destiny.
0: Um, <laughs> I know. Although the name of it made me think of that bit in Bats of the Future where he's like, you are my density.
1: <laughs> um. uh, i had a t-shirt that said that oh that makes um, me so happy a while ago I had, it had you... like a portrait of george mcfly on it and I said you are my identity i
0: had a roads where we're going we don't need roads um t-shirt because when i was a kid bats the future 2 was my favorite which is funny because it's like literally the worst one but also i still love it a lot and have a lot of fear.
1: you think two's the
0: worst one yep not three Three is amazing three's my might be like Borderline my favorite one. I love time travel. Revisit. And I love Westerns. It's just perfect. Actually. uh, See, I like
1: them going into the future. Well, air quotes the future. It's, I think, our past now. Because it's like 2015. It was 2015, Um, yes. Where are my flying cars? So they started in 85.
0: The past was 55. The future was 15. And the past past was 1885. Yeah. I have a chart that I drew once (laughs) of the um different Bath to the Future um timelines and it ended up looking like a penis. So it was really <laughs> funny. I'll show it to you. No, later. so you know
1: that there's there's that bit in like, you know, where Doc Brown charts it out when they go back to nineteen fifty five in um Back to the Future 2, and there's like the nightmare, like you know, Donald Trump's nineteen eighty five. Nineteen eighty five. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. The nightmare nineteen eighty five when they go back with the almanac the al- and he draws out the yeah, tiny I universe. did that I did that for the Terminator franchise when I had like had finished my assignment earlier in like high school English right around the time that right. like Terminator three had come out okay so like two thousand and three ish so my the teachers let me like draw it all out of the, board <laughs> I and love have this. the different like diverging timelines <laughs> and basically like doing nerd shit yeah and i I bring that up not to share a fun anecdote from. From my past, which, I
0: mean... I mean, this is also relevant to my life because I have recently watched Terminator and Terminator 2. And I saw Terminator 3 in the movie theater because Claire Danes. So up until recently, yeah. I was apparently Terminator 3 only. <laughs>
1: well, and I bring that up because, again, it, it's a lot of things you're talking about the idea of prophecy and destiny in this episode. And in, in a lot of ways, Terminator as a franchise deals with a lot of that, you know changing time preventing the past but then also no matter what we do and how they try and alter the past it's like judgment day keeps happening it just like changes and gets like remixed right right? um and like that reminds me a little bit about some of the interesting things about this episode as it relates to prophecy and then like the interpretation of prophecy right um I've spoken before on the podcast about humans in the, like, universal, you know, sentient humanoid sense within Star Trek, because they're played by humans on our planet, um, on Earth, being both meaning seekers and meaning creators. And that's, I think, definitely something that was coming to the forefront in this episode. Um, Sorry, what's Eric Avari's character's name? It's like Vedic yard. It starts with a Y. I
0: forget um, what his name was. Yeah, but he's like excommunicated.
1: So like, yeah, he's been defrocked, but like he still believes in the prophecy. Mm-hmm. He takes out of his time to like come, you know, and chides Kira for not knowing her prophecies or being devout enough. Right. And like from his read, the three vipers are the three Cardassians. These, and he's worried that you know the temple, the prophecy, course prophecy talks about the burning of the temple gates and the 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 gates never being closed again and is worried about the destruction of the wormhole of the celestial temple mm-hmm. and in his agenda as Odo, to paraphrase Odo in the episode to be opposed to the peace treaty he, his interpretation of the prophecy is clouded by that the same way as Odo points out Sisko's interpretation or desire to not interpret it, to not find meaning in it is a result of the unease that Cisco feels. And then Kira's kind of stuck in the middle and not knowing what to believe and then looking at the signs that are are put in in front of them and interpreting it based on like the worst case scenario. I have And sorry. What is interesting to me about this examination of prophecy? Much like in Terminator or You know, I've been thinking a lot lately as House of the Dragon is is currently airing on HBO and thinking of A Song of Ice and Fire and the idea of dragon dreams and and prophecy within um, and the weight of prophecy. When we have that foreknowledge or are exposed to that foreknowledge, prophecy can lie to us. It can be misinterpreted. We lie to ourselves about what we think it means. Again, based on our agendas, we can run from it. We can ignore it. But sometimes within the structure of a narrative work like this, ignoring it or running from it can actually perpetuate it. And that's what makes it come true.
0: Oh, my right? gosh. Thor Ragnarok.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Just hit me. <laughs> we like, They tried to ha- make it not happen, but they needed for it to happen. It was, it's not a one to one, but it feels similar.
1: No, it's definitely the same sort of themes or, like, ideas or, like, concepts, right? Right.
0: I think you're hitting... I think Odo makes comments about um, Cisco's agenda regarding being that, you know, not wanting to really be the emissary. And it really read to me, as a fellow um, atheist, to what's... I, I call Cisco an atheist in this because he's not... Like, for... Within Bajoran religion, I think he just at the at least at the start of this episode is very much like I don't believe this, any of this. That's like my reading. Um, so Cisco says he has, or sorry, Odo says he has an agenda, and like to me, it almost just feels like Sisko has this like whole atheist perspective where like Kira is like seeing all of these things and like t- trying to tie it to the prophecy. And he's just mm-hmm. seeing all these like unrelated facts and it just made me, um I enjo- so I agree with you where like this Vedic or ex Vedic is one end and Cisco's on the other end and Kira is in the middle. I, I saw that as well.
1: Robert Hewitt Wolf has a, a quote from this episode that comes from the Captain the Captain's Log, supplemental The Unauthorized Guide to New Trek Voyages. Um and Wolf says, quote this is a rare case where we actually did produce a spec script from outside writers. We really fell in love with the idea that the prophecy, no matter what you do, ends up coming true. We had a lot of trouble making it work because the concept was difficult, but I think it was Renee Echevarra who finally cracked the show. Renee doing a kind of like basically an uncredited final pass mm. on the script. Got it. And Renee himself in the, the same book says, I like Destiny a lot. It's really interesting regarding the Bajoran religion, Kieran and her beliefs, and Cisco trying to walk the line. Is he emissary? It's a real deep space nine. I'm happy with it.
0: Yeah, I I really did like this episode a lot more on on second watch. Um, I don't know a lot about prophecy in general. It's not something even in I mean I've read four of the Song of Ice and Fire books, and I don't remember like half the prophecies that are mentioned. Um. I just like that stuff that, like, gets very complicated for me. But, like, you know, I'm very familiar with The Matrix um, and Star Wars. And so from those perspectives, like, prophecy is very interesting to me. But I do find that this prophecy and all Bajoran prophecies are kind of a little more complicated and nuanced than the ones in The Matrix or... Star Wars or even Harry Potter and stuff like that. So it's just, it's very interesting, but I like feel like I have to kind of wade the waters to like get down to what everything means.
1: Yep. Yeah. 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 I had just watched a video last night by Joe Magician who does YouTube content yeah, based on A Song of Ice and Fire on yeah. a, a House of the the Dragon video about helena as like a potential or well i think it's probably confirmed of the show like you know dragon dreams and like the weight of that and like this idea of like prophecy and things like that is something i've really been thinking about like in terms of like viserys having that one dragon dream about you know thinking he'll have a son and wearing the conqueror's crown and you know all the things that like led to him essentially (laughs) being not essentially him being responsible for his first wife's death um and trying to you know make that dream come true in the ways in which spoilers for house of the dragon (laughs) but the ways we know that that comes true and i think is going to come true on the show rather quickly but not in the way i think he hoped wanted or expected and it being the only kind of dragon dream or prophecy he's ever had and just clutching onto that so tight is just yeah interesting
0: are you ready to talk about my favorite Cardassian scientists? Well, two of them are my favorite. The other one could go fuck. Uh,
1: what you you're not a fan? <laughs> Dijar. Obsidian Order operatives?
0: <laughs> no, I'm not. Um I so we have Ulani Belor Belor. I'm like I'm also like a song of ice and fire pills and like calling her Baylor. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce this last name <laughs> and um Galora Rachel are the are coming and then uh, but there's this like third scientist that comes up which then like sparks Kira to be like oh wait the prophecy three vipers um and so the reason they're coming to the station is because they're helping build this relay so that they can have permanent communication between the Gamma Quadrant through the Wormhole and Deep Space Nine in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, And it's so interesting to me, the dynamic between these three. Before we know that Dejar is an Obsidian Order operative, it's so interesting because the whole scene where she shows up to like that I don't know if they were having drinks or dinner, like, with the two scientists and O'Brien and Dex, which I love, like, these four. I mean, engineering to me is very sciencey related or science-adjacent. So just to have these, like, four technical people, like, having a conversation together was very exciting for me, even though I feel like O'Brien fell out of place being the only dude there. i That's just my headcanon. Um, and so Dijar comes up, and it just totally read to me as like they're like these three communists that come to like a capitalist country and like two of them are like loving all the options and the third one's just like judging them and it just felt so tropey of like communism's boring and blah 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 and it just that whole bit kind of made me laugh a little bit i don't know if you read any of that into it but i like had this whole oh, no, scenario totally, for sure. in my mind And so, like, the one who, like, is true to their communist beliefs is, like, resenting the other two. I was like, all right. (laughs) Everyone needs to lighten up here. (laughs) It was very funny to me.
1: Yeah, no, and and that's definitely, like, I think, where the episode's coming from is it's definitely doing, like, an East meets meets West, like, Cold War kind of sort of inspired story and illusions and, and things like that, right? Like, even the idea of, like... The Obsidian Order person being so um, rigid. The idea of jar being so kind of rigid and <laughs> judgmental and parental, it's, it's, it feels very, like, KGB stereotype, yeah. right? Yeah, but totally.
0: It's like... um, I really enjoyed Ulani and Galora, Galora especially. Um, she is the one that was working with O'Brien, O'Brien, um, on the engineering aspect basically getting the station ready for this relay and there's a lot of fun bickering scenes where she's trying to do her work and realize things are not as the schematics from when Cardassia was in charge of the station like it's not the same and she's like you made all these changes like why didn't you say anything and o'brien's just like well you never told me what you were doing so i didn't know what was relevant and it just was like this bickering back and forth that was a lot of fun and that one scene when she asked him to go get her tea he was like
1: so annoyed he was so like, annoying. okay then
0: sure um, yeah. why not <laughs> Um, and it all then boils to comes to a head when she basically is like, "Yeah, well, men aren't good engineers anyway." And then we learn that all of the women, all of the sciences in Cardassia are dominated by women, and I'm just like, Cardassia is really into their girl bosses. Um, <laughs> it was just very funny to me, and felt so second wave feminist to be like, you know. Girls rule, boys drool, or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, but like, I, th- I think too, within the context of like Cardassian society, it's like, hmm. I wonder if like the sciences are one of the only like professional pathways that are open to women in Cardassian society. Fair. I was because it yeah. is so militaristic that yeah we haven't the met... men are streamlined into the military.
0: Right. And we really haven't, I don't believe we've met a woman military officer from Cardassia or even really any women leaders like I can't recall any so you're, you're probably right and actually I was like I didn't consider that until like as you were saying it just now I was like oh yeah that does make sense
1: <laughs> yeah and I'm sure there are like you know varying like exceptions because again in the Casablanca episode one of the dissidents is right like, you know one of the one of Quark's Uh, girlfriends i can't remember her name. yeah i don't remember either um students is is a male is a man and then i do think there's a tng episode where we see uh it's probably i think tng season seven um the one where they're they're racing and you know find the history of that progenitor race i think the gull in that is a woman but generally speaking you know there's always going to be exceptions but you think of what's more socially acceptable or whatever right so
0: yeah that's fair within
1: car socially acceptable within cardassia yeah
0: be funny yeah 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 um i did enjoy the um when right before they come out and say that dejar is part of the obsidian order um i think it i don't remember if it was ulani who was or <clears throat> galora who was basically being pretty straightforward and honest with Starfleet, saying that Cardassia pretty much limits what they're allowed to do. Um, they're not allowed to make any. Um, they're they're not allowed to make any. Um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, sorry. They're not allowed to make any experiments that are like too dangerous or unnecessary. And like Cisco makes a point of saying that Starfleet will consider all options when something happens and you get them imp- I mean they flat out say like we feel that way too but we're not allowed to act that way and it's just interesting that even though they get their little bit of I guess what they would consider freedom they don't like Cardassian food they're very excited to have food from other planets like they're enjoying um learning about other cultures even which I think is a very scientific thing. I know, I do think there are some crossovers with like science and humanities in the like curiosity aspect. So like it makes yeah. sense to me that these women would be like interested in learning about other people's cultures. Um and it's just very much I'm surprised at how honest they are about that with Starfleet with Dejar sitting right there. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Right.
1: Yeah, there's like a certain level of protection or like insulation that they feel they can get from the the science ministry from the Obsidian Order, I think too, right? Yeah. Like they're somehow insulated from the consequences of their actions.
0: I'm not sure that the how and the why are, is important, but everything basically works out at the end. Um, Dejar was trying to hinder everybody, but I guess whatever sh- they worked to counter that Fulfilled the prophecy and got the relay working. <laughs> they base. I felt like it was a little yada yada yada, or my my ears kind of tuned out at that point with the with the details. But it, I was happy that the prophecy came true, um, which is unlike me because I usually am very like the religious stuff. But it is kind of interesting when things that might not be explainable happen.
1: Well, yeah, and the idea that even like. The outcome of the prophecy was what they wanted all along. And if it wasn't for the comet fragments as the three vipers um, going through the wormhole and even that little bit of of leakage of whatever the particle was or whatever, that's what allowed the signal and the comms relay to go through.
0: The three vipers meaning like the comet pieces? The comet comet fragments, The comet fragments, yeah. Which they realized yeah. later were the three vipers, apparently.
1: Yeah, and the idea that, like, lighting the temple on fire was whatever the leakage that came out of the, you know, static warp bubble or shield or whatever the tech solution was. And the gates never being closed again is the signal going through for the comms relay, right? Like Yeah, yeah no matter what they tried to do, like, it was going to happen anyways. And I, yeah.
0: Yes yeah I feel the more that we talk about this episode, the more I'm liking it. actually. I think my only problem is Cisco's attitude at the beginning about all of it and not being as um but as understanding about how Bajorans may feel, but I also feel like that would change the complete tone of the episode, so we would not have gotten the rest of the episode how we wanted it or how we like how I liked it if that had he had been a little more serious at the beginning i think yeah Was there anything else you wanted to discuss about the episode before we get into our regularly scheduled segments
1: no i i think we've we've covered kind of a lot of the the major thrusts um as we move into the altar water thirst quencher altar water first being mentioned by dr Bacoy in star trek 3 i think i know the answer to this Elise, and i'm sure most of our long-time listeners do but who are you thirsting for this week
0: Um, there is an enemies to almost lovers plot in this episode, (laughs) and I'm here for it. Galora even tells O'Brien that she's fertile, although it may be a little too early for him to be worrying about that. I love this. I love that O'Brien has no idea that this is happening because they have different mating rituals. I love an enemies to lovers Like I said in the opening, I want to read Cardassian romance novels. Give it to me, please. (laughs) I do like that once they realized the understanding, they were very, like, cool about it. And it was awkward for a second. And she went on her way to, like, give everybody space. And it was very respectful. (laughs) But yeah, it would have been hot. If there was no Keiko, you know, who knows what would have happened. (laughs) What about you? uh i mean
1: scrolling up um i definitely liked rajal uh, rajal was played by tracy Sloggins, do i don't remember how you properly pronounce her last name but will later be a lead on babylon 5 and also during the climax i think we see dax in command of the defiant for the first time just captaining it up and yeah that like did did some things for me yeah um
0: Listeners, you may not know this because you do not have access to our notes, but Matt put a picture of Dax in this chair in our notes, and I am very happy about it.
1: Yeah, we we love to we love to see it. Um, yeah, and I guess my nominee for most Star Trek thing is several <laughs> techno babble solutions that work and don't work, and then one finally works. Right, the altering the phasers didn't work. But then they had the idea of the, you know, running the shuttle pod through the fragment through the wormhole and, you know, whatever. Tech the tech. Lots of tech talk this week.
0: For sure. And I probably would say that mine is basically um, lessening the nuance of a controversial thing that happened prior so that you can have the story that you want in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Pretending that there wasn't, like, actual people murdered. Let's feed up those Kardashians in our restaurants um etc etc i don't want to beat a dead horse because i have mentioned it three times now but i think that's um yeah my winner
1: yeah it's a regular pie oh my
0: <laughs> oh, don't make time, me cry you asshole
1: <laughs> <laughs> until next time elise where can folks find more of you on the internet
0: you can find me on twitter and Letterbox at elise underscore tendi e-l-y-s-e underscore t-e-n-d-i and you
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at MattieHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace, and you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com.
0: Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. Um, Thank you to GJ Empirical for our Interstellar theme song, and thank you to our editor, Melissa.
1: And until next time, computer end program.
0: Bye.